Easter message, just the next chapter, but also the thieves on the cross. So uh, it, it seemed to fit, and so I, I stayed with it, even though it kind of bumped in a little bit to one another, but not that much. But you want to know, what I understand as I study the Bible is that things are written within the Word of God for a purpose. The Bible says in the the last chapter, the last verse of the book of John, it says that if all the things that Jesus Christ said were chronicled, were written down, John says that probably the world itself would not be able to contain all that was written about, all that could have been written about him. And so what I want to ask you today as we take a look at this particular subject that we're going to look at today is why? Why was this written down? Why was this scenario deemed important enough for you and me to listen in? It's a very, very uh, a stark place in the Word of God. And it has a purpose for all of us. And I believe... Um, I, can, I don't, don't like to make statements quite like this, but I believe I understand at least what the Lord... Let me just put it this way. I believe what, I understand what the Lord is trying to say to me through it. And I, I hope that it makes sense to you. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, a little later we're going to put up on the screen some of the words of the most important part that we're going to talk about this morning so that you can kind of refresh your memory and refresh your thoughts of what is being said. But as a general rule, as a church, we uh, like for everybody to have their own Bibles. We say if you don't have a, a Bible, we will purchase you one. We will get you one somehow, some way. We'd love for you to have your own Bible. Because what you want to do is to verify what the pastor, what the preacher is saying to you so that you can make sense of it and so that he doesn't make mistakes and go off on a tangent that is not true to the Word of God. You see, this is everything to us as a church. If you're visiting with us today, we, we are honored. I mean, b- beyond your wildest dream, we are honored that you're here with us. And we want to be able to take this time to share with you what we feel is the most important thing in, in our lives, and that is the Word of God. And so we, here at this church, we hold true to this as, as, as best we know how. And so we are going to take a look at it, and we want you to look at it with us so that you can see what I'm saying is what is being said in here, and so that I don't take you on any kind of a trip that isn't um, relevant to what is being taught. And trust me, from the cross, Jesus Christ is teaching an invaluable lesson for everybody. And I want to try to explain that to you today if I can. Now, I want you to read with me in uh, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. And then I'm going to jump back into chapter 23 and read from from verse 33 forward a little bit. Let's read chapter 24, starting with verse 1. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, they are the women who came to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. So, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. The stone was the door, the entrance, the very entrance into or entrance out of the tomb was 
by this giant stone and it was amazingly rolled away. So they saw this. Verse 3, When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When that happened, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly appeared, wait, suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. These are two angels that are standing right there before them. And as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Verse 6, one of the great verses in all of Scripture for Easter. It is what we have said. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Look what the angels say. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. They remembered these words, the words of Jesus Christ, it says in verse 8. And they returned in verse 9 from the tomb and they reported all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. The eleven were the apostles. All the rest were all those that followed Jesus. They were disciples of His. People like you and me who were followers of His. Now we know who they are because verse 10 tells us a part of that group. They were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and also the other women with them telling these things to the apostles. Want to read an amazing verse? Look at verse 11. The apostles themselves said that these words appeared to them as what? Nonsense. So if you're doubting, if you're wondering about this whole event of Easter, the whole idea that Jesus Christ went to a cross, was crucified on the cross, dead, died, was buried, three days later he rose from the dead, you're in very, very good company. They felt, the apostles, that this was just nonsense. How could this be? How could this be? Look what it says. These words appeared to them, verse 11, as nonsense. And they would not believe them. Peter, in verse 12, arose and he was the leader of the group. And he ran, it says, to the tomb. He stooped and looked in and he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. It's an amazing event, folks. To be, a, to try to grasp all of, of what Easter truly means is, is a major event. It's a, it's a thing that takes in everyone's life the very core of what Christianity is. It's one word, only one word. We rely on one word, faith. Faith is everything to us. Faith that what we read, what we see, what we hear, all of the things about our Lord, the, the, the attitude of people throughout the lifetime and, and from generation to generation to generation, it all stems from faith. It came through faith in the Old Testament and it is faith in the New Testament. It's a wonderful word. 
Some people have trouble with it because it seems to leave loose ends, but it is a wonderful word. And what we try to do as a body of believers is to try to give you the evidence that is written within these pages to verify what is being said is truthful so that you can place your faith upon a Savior that you you can believe in. See what happens just before this scene. This is what I want to talk to you about. It's in the 23rd chapter of Luke. It's just before. It starts in verse 33. Let me read to you from verse 33. Let me see. Let's go to verse uh, 43. Read with me. It said, When they came to the place called the skull, that was Calvary, that was where they crucified Jesus. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. Verse 35, the people stood by looking, and even the rulers were sneering at Jesus saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers, in verse 36, also mocked him, coming up to him and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him that wrote, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals, in verse 39, who was hanging there with him, was hurling abuse at him. He was saying to him, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other one answered and said, rebuking him, saying, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we, indeed, justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. What a great statement. And then it says in verses 42 and 43, what I want to center on today. In verse 42, he, in my mind's eye, looked at Jesus Christ and said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said back to him to truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Wow. Wow. Before I pray, let me tell you this. If Jesus Christ was playing a hoax on everybody, he he played it out to the last card. If he was not who he says he was, if he could not give eternal life, if he could not promise a person paradise what how devious is he to have this poor criminal look at him and say remember me when you go into your kingdom and he looks at him and says today today you will be with me in paradise because I want to tell you something to me And to those who trust and believe in Jesus Christ, those are some of the most precious words you'll ever hear. You 
will be with me in paradise. Now let's see why this is so important. Let's see why this was written for us to examine. You see, everything that Jesus Christ did, He did for a purpose. He did so that you and I would examine why, why in the world did, did this happen? Let's pray first. Father, please, open up our eyes. Allow us to behold wonderful things that come from Your law. Not only open our eyes, but our hearts as well, Father, and our thoughts and our minds. May we give You these next minutes, whatever it is, half an hour or so, Father, that we might try to grasp what is being said because it is critical. It really is important. And for it to be understood, Father, would You please move me out of the way? Allow me not to be noticed that much. Let, let, let us just see what is written in, the, in Your Word and let us see what You want to say to us as, as individuals, one-on-one-on-one, just You and us. Father, would You please talk to us? Some people here, Father, don't come to church that often. They're, they're, they're here. God bless them. Thank You for that. And Father, let them hear from You especially, we pray pray you take this time, Father. Use it for your purpose and your glory. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I want to say first and foremost as a church, we wish every single one of you a God-blessed Easter. I just went upstairs, you know, and kind of put my feet up for a moment between the two services. And darn if I didn't get a text from a guy I went through high school with. And, and I hadn't seen him in ages. And he said, I wanted to wish you and your family a very happy Easter, and God bless you. And I, I know he thinks, like I think, that guy became saved. <laughs> he was a pretty much of a rascal, that guy. I bet he's saying the same thing about me. It was such a sweet thing to get that from him. Easter. It's a wonderful time. This place that we just read... Luke chapter 23 and Luke chapter 24 is extremely significant within your life and my life. I want to try and explain. Now, I grant you, I grant you that this place is only significant and beautiful because of what has happened for each and every single one of us. We're going to find Jesus Christ upon the cross. We're going to find Him surrounded by His family, His friends, onlookers, enemies, and oh yes, two criminals who are being crucified right alongside of him. We see the reason of why we rejoice when we just read at the first of it in chapter 24, verse 6, when he says, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Why are you looking for Him here? He is risen, just like He told you He would. You see, the very essence of our rejoicing over Easter is purely that fact. Jesus Christ has risen. Jesus Christ has risen indeed. And as a church body, we, uh, the group of people who come here regularly, we trust in that fact every time we gather together. This isn't a Oh, oh boy, let's celebrate Easter today. We celebrate Easter every day. We believe in a risen Savior every day of our lives. We rejoice over the fact that our Savior is alive. Yeah, He's risen, but 
For what purpose? That's the question here. Why did Jesus Christ go to the cross and die and then raise himself from the dead three days later? Why? I believe this marvelous story will give us a little deeper insight to why Easter is so special and should be so special to everybody that walks the face of this earth. In chapter 23, we find Jesus Christ nailed it to a cross. His mock trial is over with. I say mock trial because they were going to put him on the cross no matter what. They wanted to do him under. It was not a fair trial at all. And so his mock trial is over with. They've beaten him unmercifully. The Bible says he was beaten beyond recognition. They beat him up badly. And verse 33 tells us that they then took him to a place called the Skull, or Calvary. And there they crucified him, hanging him between two criminals. One on his right, the other we are taught on his left. Look at the atmosphere of that place. In, in, in chapter 23, in verse 35, it says the rulers, those who were the religious rulers of that day, were sneering, it says, at him. That's verse 20, 35. In verse 37, the soldiers who had to take care of this whole mess, they were mocking him, it says, in verse 37. And then ultimately, in verse 39, one criminal who was hanging there alongside of him was hurling abuse, it says, at him. Now, what does that tell you and me? Well, it tells us that people have been sneering at, mocking, hurling abuse at Jesus Christ from, from day one. It's nothing new that people mock him today. It's nothing new that they mock Christians. It's nothing new that people want to persecute Christians. They did him, they will do us. Sadly, there has always been those who ridicule the Savior. But what takes place in chapter 23 from verse 40 to verse 43, this now we will put up on the screen, is utterly amazing. Watch. One of the two thieves, the one who is not hurling abuse at Jesus Christ, says in verse 40, is it up there? Let me see. Isn't that cool? We just got this a couple of weeks ago. Kind of proud of it. One of them answered, the one that wasn't rebuking him, answered and said, Do you not even fear God? He says, Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, in other words, we're all here we're all going to die. What are you doing hurling abuse at him? And we, he says, indeed, are suffering justly. We are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. You know what he's saying? You see, on the day of Passover, the Roman, so the Roman society and the Jewish hierarchy would, would crucify the worst of the worst. They took, these were not, these people alongside of Jesus were not just common thieves. They were terrible, terrible, terrible human beings. And so the one of them says, why are you ridiculing him? Why are you 
saying this to him, don't you fear God? We are under the same sentence as him. We're going to die. And we justly, we deserve it, he said. This guy doesn't. And he couldn't point. This guy, this guy could. <laughs> and then in verse 42, verse 42 is one of the most amazing verses you'll ever read. If you've really got to put it all into some sort of scenario here, this hardened criminal looks at Jesus Christ and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now perhaps the only thing, the only thing at this point that you might find more unusual than this request by this criminal is our Lord's response. In verse 43, he looks back at him and says, Truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, if you do not recognize what just took place, let me try to explain. This criminal, I'm telling you, he was worthy of death, is asking Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, the one who is hanging on a cross right beside him, he is asking Jesus Christ to give him eternal life, heaven, paradise, in place of the hell that he is looking right in the eyes, standing right before him. He is asking for eternal life. Imagine, imagine asking for paradise, asking for heaven in return for well, let's see. What does he have to give to Jesus Christ in return? What's, what's a fair trade there? I can see uh, some of you nodding your head. Nothing. No, nothing. He has nothing, nothing, nothing to give except a lifetime of lawlessness and sin. You see, only the worst of worst was crucified on this time. This guy was no common criminal. So what an absurd request. I mean, can you, can you imagine those who are observing this scene are listening in and they are saying, did you hear what I just heard? This thief is asking him for everlasting life. Heaven. We send him to hell. And he's asking for heaven. Can almost, you can almost hear the crowd murmuring. But not only that, it's filtered down. It is filtered down from generation to generation to generation to generation till it hits us right in the face. And people today are saying, do you mean to say, are you trying to tell me that he could just ask for forgiveness and get it that fast? doesn't seem right. And the fact of the matter is, we who believe in Jesus Christ know that we can be sure of our destiny with just a simple request of salvation through faith into this One who is called the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God who walks the face of this earth. You might ask, do you mean to say 
that all I have to do is ask Jesus Christ by faith to forgive me of my sins and He will give me eternal life, paradise, no questions asked about my past. Doesn't seem right, does it? Seems so simple, doesn't it? I couldn't agree with you more if that's what you're thinking. I get it. I wrestled with that same question. I don't know how many years ago now, over 40. And I heard my father, who I loved more than life itself, wrestle with me over that fact. He's, I, I remember vividly when I shared Christ with him over and over again, he looked at me and he said, Son, are you telling me that a man could be on death row? He's going to the electric chair. And on the way, now he thinks he's got me, you know. He says, and on the way, as he's going to the electric chair, he asks God to forgive him, and he is forgiven of everything. You know, he gave him that, Dad, give me that look. And I said, yes, Dad, he's forgiven. <laughs> you know, you can see, you can just, you know, you can see it. I mean, you could imagine my dad. I couldn't agree with you more. But look, look at our Lord's response to that question. Remember me when you go into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? What does he say? Truly, truly I say to you, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. By the way, why not both of them? Why not a package deal? They're both there. Take them both to heaven. No way. As you could see for yourself, only one thief asked. And mark this now. He asked the only one who could fulfill that request of eternal life in heaven. He asked Jesus Christ. He didn't, up there on the cross, he didn't shout out, Somebody, anybody, save me. Please, save me. He knew better. He was a dead man on that cross. And so he looked at Jesus Christ and he said, Remember me when you go into your kingdom. As absurd as that request may be, I think only the fulfillment of that request could be more absurd. I ask you, how can one live a lifetime of sin and in one moment in time ask for and receive eternal life, paradise, heaven. How could this one request beat an eternity in hell and get him heaven? (laughs) This is some great scenario we're looking at this morning. But a better question might be, what is Jesus trying to teach us? What is He teaching you and me from this cross scenario? What is He trying to say to us as we look at this scene? It seems to me that Jesus is saying to us and anyone who who desires to seek after Him, our former life is not the issue. The issue is our faith in Him and Him alone. That seems to be the issue. 
criminal, worst of the worst, at death door, nowhere to turn, asks Jesus Christ to give him paradise, heaven, in replace of hell. He has no hope, the criminal doesn't, of living a good enough life so as that God might be well pleased with him. He can't get down and do some quote-unquote good deeds to make God pleased with him. can't. So uh, some say, doesn't this cheapen our thoughts about heaven and hell? Doesn't it cheapen our thoughts about death and life? For sure it could. That is if, if you and I fail to see that we have choices in this life in which we live. You see, every one of us, every single one of us, you in the overflow room and us here, we all have something in common. We have a destiny, we have a duty, and we are of value. Every one of us. You, me, and that criminal. Let me explain. First of all, in our society today, for the most part, not everybody, but some, have been sold a bill of goods that tell us that we are a people with absolutely no destiny. This is it. Eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow you die. Enjoy yourself. This is all you have. You might as well enjoy it. There's no reason for you to live beyond this moment. All we have is what we have here and now. We have this life, nothing more. Yet, with this thief's request, and more importantly, with its fulfillment by Jesus Christ, Jesus himself teaches us through this criminal that you and I have a destiny. There is a destiny that lies before us. And more, more importantly, don't miss this, He lets us know that He holds the key to this destiny called paradise, eternal life, heaven. We learn this through the thief's request and our Lord's reply. Remember me when you go into your kingdom. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Okay, but... Let's say there is no destiny. None. If that be true, then you and I don't have any duty. There's no reason for any of us to do what's right. What in the world are you doing here? You can be on the beach. You beat the traffic. Get somewhere. What are you doing here? We have no duty. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no heaven. There's no hell. We see somebody get away with murder and it would be natural for us to think, me too. I want that. I want to do what he did. For that matter, everybody could reason, who is the one who has written the final word on the difference between who's right and who's wrong? What's wrong with everybody doing what's right in their own eyes? I have no duty no destiny so the next step pure logic can't go anywhere else but here and that is without a destiny and without no duty no guidelines no purpose then we become a people of no 
real value. There's no value. What value is there in this life? But not at this scene. At this scene, written for us to examine, is something quite different. Jesus considers this criminal, this hardened criminal, who asks for eternal life, he considers him to be of great value, regardless of his terrible past. It's a classic battle. It's a classic battle of belief, faith, good, evil, unbelief, doubt. It's a classic. It seems to me that Jesus Christ wanted all of us to realize that regardless of our past, we are of great value to Him. So much so that He died for us. That's what the Bible teaches. He went on the cross, shed His blood for the forgiveness of sin, died, three days later was raised from the dead for our sin. That's what the Bible teaches. People, you and I are worth something to God. So much so that He gave Himself so that we might have everlasting life through faith in Him. Why? I'll tell you why He did what He did on the cross. It's, it's really as apparent as, as you can imagine. He did it because you do have a destiny. Every single one of us. We do have a duty or a purpose in this life in which we live. Every single one of us. And because we have a, a destiny and a duty, we are of great value to our Lord. You see, if anyone was considered to be of little value, then it was this criminal. If anyone was considered to be worthless, then it was this criminal. But not to God. You see, in one simple statement of faith, the thief simply said, Remember me. Just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And with that request, Jesus Christ made the statement of statements, saying, Okay, truly, I say to you, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. With this request answered, that Jesus Christ showed the world, you and me, the value, the value of one single soul. One soul who comes to Him by faith. Think of it again. What does this thief have to offer in return? What could he give? What could he do in return for the favor of gaining eternal life. I hear you thinking, nothing. He couldn't do anything. He could not, he did not live a good life, and he didn't have the prospect of, of going on and having a good life thereafter. He has nothing to offer except what the Bible is built on faith. That's it. Faith in Christ. And with that point, that point. Now you hopefully understand why Jesus Christ died. More importantly, why Easter is so important to us 
that He would rise from the dead never to die again and to give to all who believe in Him everlasting life? Hopefully you understand why we consider Easter of such great importance in this church. You see, Jesus did it all for you and me. You know why? You over there and you guys here, we're of great value to Him. He really loves us. He really truly loves us. We are a people with a destiny. We do have a duty. And we are of great value. So much so that God allowed His Son to go to that cross between two thieves and die for our sin. Our past, like this one unnamed thief, does not disqualify us from heaven. And why? Because what we celebrate, Jesus Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. It's true. True. Now, I'm always boggled. I really am. I'll, I'll tell you, this is, this is so true right now. When I share Christ with some of my friends or some people I get to know, and I say, you know, wouldn't you prefer to have heaven than hell? I always am boggled by someone who says, well, let me think that through. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, um, I, I sit there when they're thinking it through and thinking to myself, I'm talking to an idiot here. <laughs> but the only trouble is I was that idiot at one time. I didn't want to give my heart to Christ. I was, uh, wasn't sure what that all meant. As a church, this church, we'd love to try to teach you what it all means. I want you to know something. This is a safe place. I, I, this church is filled with wonderful people. I know most pastors probably say that, and you think they have to. I don't have to. I just I believe it with all my heart. And it's a safe place for you to come and, and, and not hear about religious uh, stuff, but hear about what is written within this Bible, the Word. We'd love for you to get to know it. It's the very essence of life. It's, it's so wonderful and beautiful to hear God speak to us on a regular basis. It's, it's amazing. We'd love for you to come here. We'd love to try to teach what, what all this means, what we try to say today, and how, does it, how is it real in your life and in my life and in everyone's life. And so I want to ask you, I want to close with this. We're a little early, but that's good. If you've never asked, will you not ask today with faith the same thing that that thief said Jesus remember me when you go into your kingdom I can only say March 12, 1973 March 12, 1973 at 3 o'clock in the afternoon I remember it vividly I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. It's been over 41 years, and I've never once, never once regretted that decision I made. You might say, well, have you always lived up? Here you are, a pastor. You must be someone really good. <laughs> you don't know me. You should know. That's, that's, that's not true. You could ask me, do you, ever, do you always live up? to that ideal and I can tell you without question no no I mess up and I mess up just like believe like everybody else 
you can maybe ask me is uh, are you always happy about that and I can say to you no sometimes I wonder what in the world have I done but if you ever ask me do you doubt that you're a believer in Jesus Christ I can tell you without question no I've never doubted it because of what he has done for me unlike that thief that had enough sense to ask him to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. If you've uh, never made that prayer, please do. We're going to have some people up here that will pray with you. Not necessarily about praying and receive Christ in your heart, although we'd love to answer any questions about that. But we'll have some people up here that will pray with you about jobs or uh, someone's sick or whatever. Something that you have in your life that you need prayer for. We're a praying church. We'd love to pray for you. The people who will pray for you will keep it all private. They will not... Gee, you should have heard what I just heard. Won't none of that stuff. Um, We just want to love you and pray for you. With that in mind, may I say to you, those of you that I don't even know, and for those of you that come here all the time, I'll say to you, I love you with all my heart. I thank you for the privilege of doing what I do. There's no more fortunate person on the face of this earth than me. There's no one person on the face of this earth more unworthy than me to do what I do. Quite a privilege. Thanks for being here. For you in the overflow room, thanks. Hope you left some cookies for us. (laughs) Thank you guys for being here this Easter Sunday. Come back when you can. We'll be open. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this time, this day, your Son, our Savior. I pray that there's nobody that walks away from here in unbelief, Father. It's too critical a decision. It's really critical. It's the most significant decision they'll ever make. Let us all know that we have a destiny. We have a purpose. And we are of great value, Father, to you. Let us trust in you for our salvation, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all more than you'll ever know. God bless you. Have a great day.